So I'm going to start in Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 37. But just in case you don't know where we are, Jesus has ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1. And He told the disciples to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, in the first four verses, we see that the Holy Spirit is poured out. And Peter then stands up and he gives a sermon and he tells all the crowd that's there listening and watching the spectacle that's taken place. People are speaking in tongues and they're hearing the gospel message and the mighty deeds of God in their own personal language in the country that they came from. And Peter stands up and he preaches this incredible cutting message and he tells all the people that this is the promise of the Holy Spirit that what you're witnessing is God being poured out in his spirit upon his people and he tells them by the way this is the Jesus that you wanted crucified so there's a level of conviction and there's a level of address and directness in Peter's message that I don't want you to miss because we're going to begin in verse 37 with the response of the crowd as Peter is preaching to them. And I want you to notice what they ask Peter. Read with me. Acts 2.37 Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Or the Greek reads, they were wounded in their conscience. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So they're crying out to Peter under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they want to know, what do we have to do? What is the right response to this message of conviction that you are preaching? Can I share with you my burden in the church today is that we have flipped that? And that we have basically gone to the lost and to the world and we have said, what shall we do? Rather than preaching the truth and sticking to our guns and exalting Jesus, we have turned and we now go to people and we say, what do we have to do to be saved? What do we have to do to get you saved? You have entire churches and ministries that they're built on and their foundation is we will do anything short of sin to get you saved. And if that means we will avoid difficult passages... If that means we have to water down the truth, if that means that we have to ignore some things that make people uncomfortable, if that means we have to turn a blind eye to the demonic agenda that is taking over our nation and our world, we'll do it so long as we can get you saved. And slowly but surely, the church, rather than being an army, has become a nursery full of infants who have been in Christ for decades who are figuratively still peeing and pooping in their diaper. And we think it's normal and we think it's okay because we failed to offer the true diet of the Word of God which calls us higher. People ask me, Paul, why are like all of your messages convicting? I'm like, because when I read the Word of God, I feel convicted. I feel encouraged and convicted. 
I feel loved and convicted. I feel challenged and convicted. But in a generation that is serving and following their feelings, here's the truth. It's easier to be offended than it is to be convicted. Because if I'm offended, you're the problem. But if I'm convicted, I'm the problem. And I need to change. And what I've learned in my years of ministry so far is this simple fact. The truth, no matter how lovingly you say it, always feels like hatred to people that don't want to change. When you begin to really withhold the truth of who God is from people, deception grows. And the gospel gets distorted and perverted. So Peter preaches... And in verse 36, we didn't read it, but he says, this is the Jesus whom you crucified. And they're like, uh-oh. We need more preaching that makes people say, uh-oh. Did you know that the deception of the last days, Paul told Timothy, that people will assemble for themselves teachers that tell them what their itching ears want to hear? And the word there is tickled. We have people, they're not pastors, they are puppets. They, are, they have an agenda and it's to keep people happy. Because if people leave unhappy, they might not come back and we might not be able to pay our bills. And the truth is many churches are serving money and not God. I'm just here to tell you the truth. So he tells them, repent. Read with me, verse 38. What's his response? What should we do? Repent. And let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off until the last apostle dies. And then you will read your Bible. Can I encourage you? The burden of proof is on people that don't believe in the ministry of the Spirit today. You don't have to prove why tongues is real, why prophecy is still for today, why words... Are... They have to prove why they're not real via the Scriptures. Because a simple look through the lens of the Word of God leads us and ushers us into a Spirit-filled life. And here's Peter standing on the birthday of the church where God is breaking out in power and he's clarifying, this is what Joel prophesied in chapter 2. This is what Isaiah prophesied in chapter 44. This is what Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 is actually saying. And he's showing them from the Scriptures this is what God always wanted to do is pour His Spirit out upon you. This is your inheritance and this is your portion. Don't let anybody rob the Holy Spirit from you. Don't let anybody tell you that the manifestations of the Holy Spirit are weird. The manifestations of the Holy Spirit might make you uncomfortable, but you need to get uncomfortable so that you don't fall asleep. So instead of conviction, I would submit to you 
that the church today has traded conviction for comfort. And what we have as a result is apathy on steroids and mass. People with no hunger for God, no real prayer life, no connection with the Father for themselves. And what do we do? We lower the bar and we cater to them rather than equipping them and training them and calling them higher. So every church that dares to name the name of Jesus has a choice. And every preacher that dares to preach the gospel of Jesus has a choice. Am I going to represent the God who is revealed in the word or am I going to lower the standard and lower the bar I'm here to tell you that the pressure to lower the bar is very real because there's a price tag that comes with telling the truth you have entire churches and even denominations that have developed elephants in the room there are things they don't talk about Things that everybody knows is there, but we just ignore. I'm here to tell you one of the greatest elephants in the church today is the Holy Spirit Himself. What do we do with the Holy Spirit? What do we do when someone starts manifesting a demon? What do we do when, well, I guess we just move them to the back. Or we just preach dead doctrine built on religious tradition that says, God doesn't do that anymore. I'm so grateful to God that I'm not going to stand before the Lord in judgment having taught people what God doesn't do. Come on, amen. I'm telling you, the, re the relief that I feel preaching the presence and power of God for today and seeing it, by the way, and witnessing demonstrations of power and the evidence of the Holy Ghost and seeing baptisms and seeing healings and seeing miracles with my own eyes, I'm so grateful that I'm not going to have hoodwinked God's people to get people to believe that God can't do it anymore. When you and I just read that the promise of the Holy Spirit is for who? It's for you, it's for me, it's for every generation that's far off that would call on the name of the Lord our God. Y'all still here? It's quiet in the house today. I might need to come off the road and cheer you up. Verse 40, And with many other words, He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. If you were to preach on the perversion of our generation, you would have people offended. I submit to you that every generation has its own perversion. And that one generation's perversion is different from the next generation's perversion. But did you know that Romans 1 actually says that they will invent new ways of doing evil? What you're seeing today is people full of demonic power and agenda that are inventing new ways of doing evil. While there is some positive things, the internet has served to capture a generation of men and women in its clutches of lust. And the internet has served to distract an entire generation of parents from actually paying attention to their children. 
So then, verse 41, those who had received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together. They had all things in common and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, would you say day by day? day. Not week by week. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. This might sound like a dramatic statement, but I really mean it and I believe it's true. If you do not read the book of Acts as a blueprint, you will miss the entire point. You will miss the whole reason God preserved Luke's account of the early church if you don't read it as a blueprint. What's a blueprint? It's a plan. A blueprint is where you get the scheme. It's where you get the strategy. If there's a blueprint for a house that's going to be built, it shows you exactly down to every last detail how the house is going to be constructed. And before it's a reality, it's a blueprint. Y'all here? So the book of Acts serves as a blueprint for the church today that we're not reading Acts and going, wow, that's nice. I listen to people talk about the stories in Acts and I'm like, are we just admiring what happened or are we becoming hungry to see it in our day? Because you have to decide for yourself if the Holy Spirit is for today, if the gifts and presence and power of God are real and available and accessible now, then we've all got to get on the war path for wanting to contend to see it be real in our own lives. I don't just think prophecy is real. I want to learn how to prophesy. I want to carry a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge to someone that needs to hear God speak, not me. You have to read what we just read as a blueprint, as a path forward, as God saying to us, this is how I want my church to operate and function. So I'll invite you into the wrestle of Acts 2.42 that we had. Did you notice that it says they were continually devoted? This is one word in the Greek. The King James, I think, says steadfastly continuing. So what was it that the early church was so busy doing? What was it that filled their lives, filled their time, and consumed them? It's not a mystery. The Word of God makes it plain. It says they were devoted to what? What's the first one? To the apostles' teaching. Did you know that we have the apostles' teaching preserved for us in the Word of God? Like you can read 
the Apostle Peter's teaching and the two letters that we have. You can read the Apostle John's doctrine in the three letters that he left in the encounter that he had in the book of Revelation. So we have the Apostles' teaching preserved for us in the Word of God. And they were devoted to what the Apostles were teaching. Now I submit to you that the Apostles weren't just teaching stuff. They were teaching Him who is Jesus Christ. And they were manifesting and demonstrating who Jesus really is in real time. That's a function of apostolic ministry, to manifest the Christ and to prove to be examples and patterns in the midst of the people. So they were devoted to the Word of God. So I'll ask you the same question that we've been asking ourselves. Are you really continually devoted to the Word of God? Is the Word of God your obsession or are you stuck in distraction? Did you know that the average American picks up their phone? Are you ready for this? You're not ready. I was blown away. The average American picks up their phone. Now there's multiple studies out there, okay? And they're a little off, so I'm going to give you the range. What do you think it is? How many times do you check your phone and then you do whatever you're going to do and you put it down. And then you pull it back up. The, the range is like 250 to 350 every day. What would happen to the church of Jesus Christ if we picked up the Bible and read a few verses? I'm, I'm serious. I don't mean that, oh, what a, what a, that's nice sermon fodder, Paul. That's cute. I'm talking about bearing a real devotion in our hearts to the Word of God. You know what people say that aren't spirit-filled about the spirit-filled church? That we don't read our Bibles. That we just live for an experience and we just like to raise our hands and dance. And we just, you know, of course, they handle snakes. I'm like, no. No, we tread on serpents. We take authority over the enemy. How's your devotion to the Word of God? How's your devotion to the apostles' teaching? Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. I'm telling you, this might sound funny to you, but I mean it. One of the main reasons why I read the Word of God is because I'm tired of my own thoughts. And if you had to live in my head, you would understand. I want to think the thoughts of God. How do I know the thoughts of God? I read His Word. I want to be so full of the Word of God that when I'm cut, that's what comes out. That when I'm challenged, when I'm squeezed, when I'm backed into a corner, I'm found built upon the rock of the words of Jesus Christ, of the life of Jesus. But only the Holy Spirit can bring conviction to your heart about your devotion to His Word. You know why? Because if you read your Bible because you think Paul wants you to read your Bible, it will fade. Listen, I'm, I'm not going to be there when you wake up tomorrow morning. Unless we had a sleep in at the church tonight. Which we're not, by the way. But you've got to decide if the Word of God is a priority for you. 
You've got to determine in your own life if you're devoted or you're distracted when it comes to the Word of God. I'm guilty of being distracted. And I'm a preacher. And I'm in full-time ministry. And I have a lot less excuses than you do. You can neglect the Word of God and fail to reach your destiny. What's number two? They're devoted to fellowship. You know what we've traded fellowship for? Attendance. The American church is built on getting as many people to attend as possible. Have you ever actually asked yourself why services are 55 minutes long? And they're advertised as such? Because we're catering to people to keep the bar low that you can come and check a box and you can feel better about your life and you can still live indifferent to the Word of God and quench the Spirit. You can, we've made it easy for people to give lip service to God rather than an offering within our own lifestyles. I'm up here preaching to remind us that hell is real. And it's hot and it's dark and you can't get out. And we need to be devoted to the things that God calls us to devote ourselves to. Otherwise, our soul is in danger. Everybody is devoted to something. Everybody is committed to something. When I think of devotion, I think of love and loyalty. And when I think of love and loyalty, I think of affection and attention. Brothers, don't tell me that you are devoted to your wife when she can't get your affection and your attention. I need to hear some more ladies say amen. You being devoted to your wife is not going to work and coming home and kicking your shoes off and checking out until bedtime. Devotion looks like attention. It looks like affection. And by the way, dads, our kids need our devotion. They need to be able to look daddy in the eyes and find out what it means to be not just a man, but to be a man of God. Fatherlessness is sweeping our nation. There are actually right now more kids growing up without a father in the home than those that have a dad. We are being pillaged from the inside out and the church is trying to figure out how to make services shorter. How to preach so that people don't feel bad. It was A.W. Tozer who wrote literally almost 80 years ago. That's a long time. God bless you if you're here and you're over 80. I wonder what he would think now when 80 years ago he wrote and said that we have created a church that people can attend and still go to hell. In the 1940s and 50s. So when it comes to devotion of fellowship, 
We're not just talking about attending. We're talking about being connected in relationship to a local body of believers because I need you and you need me. Because family isn't just a theory. Family is our inheritance per the word of God. He wants you to have meaningful connection with brothers and sisters. Why? Because it says God puts the lonely in families. How's he going to do it? He's going to do it through his body. He's going to do it through his people. He's going to do it through relating to one another and loving one another and serving each other. But when it comes to fellowship, most people err on the side of disappointed in what they don't get out of it. And this is our whole problem is that if you gather a bunch of takers, then we end up preying on each other. But if you gather as a bunch of givers who are full of the presence and full of the Spirit of God, then you can have a real family unit that moves together by the presence of God. That really can follow the cloud by day and fire by night. Because the Lord is in our midst and He's leading us. There are only two groups of people in the whole body of Christ. There are those that fellowship out of conviction and those that fellowship out of convenience. We need to be devoted to fellowship. But you've got to get a conviction from the Spirit for yourself. Anybody ever had that moment where the last thing you wanted to do was darken the door of whatever meeting was happening and your flesh was just begging you to stay home and lay in bed, but you chose because God got a hold of you to make sure that you're in His presence where people are meeting and God moved powerfully in your life. I don't know how many people in my life have said to me, Brother, the devil tried to keep me from this meeting today, but I'm so grateful that God brought me here. Please hear me clearly. The Holy Spirit is never going to lead you into isolation. Never. People follow strange voices all the time. Well, I was on my way and then I I just went for a drive. Go for a drive tomorrow. Take the long way to work if that's what you want to do. But our devotion to fellowship has to do with the condition of our own soul. The enemy will plot and plan and try to get you out of as much fellowship as possible. As much fellowship as he can, he will push you and keep you from fellowshipping with the body of Christ, from having real connection, real intimacy, real vulnerability, and real relationship. I told you there's only two groups of people. For most people, fellowship is a matter of convenience. I'm here to tell you that God wants fellowship to be a matter of conviction. What that means is, when I was a kid and I was an all-star baseball player, and Mitchell will tell you how good I actually was, when they wanted to have tournaments on Sunday morning, Paul Johnson wasn't there because my parents had a fellowship conviction. And you know, I'm not up here saying, man, I, I wish I had hit a few more home runs. I'm up here grateful for the encounters I had in the presence of God as a child. 
But it's all about convenience. When I was 18 years old, I worked at Walmart overnight. Now, you don't want to work at Walmart, and you definitely don't want to work at Walmart overnight. Strange things happen at 24-hour Walmarts. And I could tell you some really weird stories. Two of them have to do with kittens. Anyway, I'm serious. But I'm 18 years old. I'm trying to work my way and I'm trying to get by in life and I'm trying to make my car payment and I'm going to college and I'm studying and I'm doing all the right things and I'm tired. I'm physically exhausted. I'm so tired that a close friend of mine asked me in tears if I'm doing drugs because she said, you just don't seem like you. I'm like, I need a nap. I used to work every Saturday night and I would get off Sunday morning at 8 a.m. And I had a choice as an 18-year-old kid. Is fellowship a matter of conviction or convenience for me? So I chose to make myself obligated with responsibilities at our church so that Paul was responsible to show up at 8.15 and fill up communion trays and sweep and clean the classrooms. And here's what I'm going to tell you. A miracle happened for me personally, and I've never shared this publicly. My feet would hurt me so badly, but I refused to sit during worship because I wanted to honor the Lord. And I'm here to tell you for the five to six months that I worked overnight at Walmart, every single time I stood in the presence of God on Sunday mornings after working all night, the pain in my feet immediately left I told a few family and friends but I was like I was nervous I'm like if I tell somebody is it going to go away I'm talking I would have shooting pain down my legs and it was like we would begin to worship and I'm like and God began to minister to me that if I would honor him he would honor me If I would make His presence and His fellowship and His Word a priority, that He would line everything else up in my life. And the next thing I know, the reason why I'm working so hard, I go in and I go to make my car payment and she slides the title across the desk towards me. And I'm like, I don't think you know how this works. I I owe like $3,000 on a car that was probably worth (laughs) $2,500. The roof was falling down. Don't despise humble beginnings. I'm like, I don't think you know how this works. She says, no, somebody paid off your car. Okay. I go to school trying to honor God. Somebody paid for my school. I don't know who that was. God does. And God's going to reward them. When you put Jesus first, everything else will line up. I have heard every excuse in the book for why people can't fellowship. I reached a point where I started writing them down because they got so funny. And I was like, man, I'm not here to shame anybody, but the devil is clearly tricking you. Like my my cat started coughing in the night. (laughs) 
And our brothers and sisters in Indonesia will walk four miles all night long. And we're like, it's cold outside. Like, well, you know that service isn't outside, right? We're not actually going to worship in the snow. Although we could if you want to. You can make a holy snow angel. It'll be awesome. But it's like you're going to have to spend, I don't know, three or four minutes in the elements and we, we couldn't make it because it's cold. Or it's too hot. I'm just telling you that the enemy will trick you out of fellowshipping. That's all you need to hear. If you've got to work, if stuff comes up, no problem. We don't keep attendance here. I'm here to tell you by conviction of the Word of God, don't make fellowship a matter of convenience. Because if you display to your children that fellowship is optional, don't be surprised when they think that fellowship is completely unnecessary. You worship God occasionally and they don't think worshiping God is necessary at all. And then we're mystified. When one of the number one things we get from our parents is, show me what's important in life. I want to be found showing my children that God is more important than everything else. That the reason why mommy and daddy make the decisions we do and give away the money we do and invest in the things we do is because God is number one, period. There is no close second. This is what conviction and devotion sounds like. And we don't have it perfectly, and we don't have it all figured out. But I know one thing, that when my devotion starts to wane, something is wrong. So they're devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to what? What's third? Breaking bread. This is not food. People are like, you want to get together and break bread? Biblically, this is the Lord's Supper. This is the body and blood of Jesus. When the Bible talks about breaking bread, it's talking about the Lord's Supper. I know we use this in American English and say we're going to break bread and what we mean is we're going to eat food. But biblically, this has to do with the sacrifice of God. And they were devoted to receiving the body and blood of Jesus regularly. Just a few verses later, it says day by day. Did you know that you could take communion every single day if you wanted to? You could go buy juice and crackers or shoot, do it with lemonade and a Twizzler. I don't think that would mix very well. I wasn't sure what was going to come out. But God is looking at your heart. I know this. I've never received the body and blood of Jesus and regretted it. I've never taken 10 minutes to pray and thank God and thank Jesus and said, well, that was a waste of time. Now, normally I'm like, oh man, why don't I do this more often? Why don't I make this a matter of conviction in my life? Because I want to be devoted. I want to be showing affection and attention. Why? Because this is a blueprint for us. It's the reason why we serve communion nearly every service. And if we don't, we open it up and say, you can come and do your thing. Because the body and blood of Jesus is important. Because Jesus himself said, do this in remembrance of me. I don't want to be found not remembering Jesus. 
and forgetting the sacrifice of Jesus to you? And the last one is they're devoted to prayer. I'll tell you a secret. As a church leader, the hardest thing to do in ministry is motivate people to pray. <laughs> it's so hard, it's worth ignoring sometimes. And I don't mean that as a fact. I mean that you're like, well, whoever's going to pray is going to pray. Whoever's going to come is going to come. If I beat the drum for corporate prayer, more people will show up Sunday morning at 9.15 or Tuesday from 6 to 8. More people will come for a while. But if it doesn't become a conviction in your life, I'm here to tell you, I need to be at corporate prayer on Tuesday mornings. I, I want to challenge you to make it one time this month. If you can. If you can't, God bless you. There's no shame. I'm inviting you into the wrestle of what it looks like to be a devoted follower of Jesus. And they were devoted to prayer. Together. Not just individually, but corporately. How many of you were here for corporate prayer this morning? It was powerful. It set the, the course of this meeting that we're having right now. Because when I don't feel like it, I get to look at somebody else who does and it reminds me, man, I need to snap out of it. And I need to contend and I need to press in and I need to pray. There's a difference between devotional prayer in your intimate prayer life and contending warfare prayer together corporately. I don't know what it is, but there's something that shakes loose inside of my soul when I hear a woman in travail by the Spirit of God. There's something that begins to shake loose and ring on the inside of me that says eternity is real. Make sure you're living for it. I need those reminders and I know you do too. Let me read you what Francis Chan wrote. While we can't force people to be devoted, it may be that we have made it too easy for them not to be. By trying to keep everyone interested and excited, we've created a cheap substitute for devotion. How do I keep my love hot? I stay devoted. What do I stay devoted to? The Word of God, the people of God, the sacrifice of God, and talking with God. What am I supposed to be pursuing, chasing? How am I supposed to be stewarding my attention and my affection? The Word of God, the people of God, say it with me. The Word of God, the people of God, the sacrifice of God. And talking with God. Prayer. It was Leonard Ravenhill who famously said, Sunday morning tells you how popular the church is. Sunday night tells you how popular the pastor is. And the prayer meeting tells you how popular God is. I can't say it any better than Lenny. Would you stand with me?
put a very interesting passage on my heart to read over you in this moment. And I'm going to pray it over myself. I'm going to read to you from 1 Kings chapter 8. And if you've been distracted in your life, I want to invite you to go ahead and come forward now. If the Lord is moving on your heart and you feel like God needs to restore devotion in in your life, you can go ahead and come down. I'm not going to make it pretty. 1 Kings chapter 8. Solomon has dedicated and prayed for the temple and the glory of the Lord has filled the house. It says, and it came about that when Solomon had finished praying this entire prayer and supplication to the Lord, he arose before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread toward heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he promised, not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he promised through Moses, his servant. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all His ways and keep His commandments and His statutes and His ordinances as He commanded our fathers. And may these words of mine with which I have made supplication before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night that He may maintain the cause of His servant and the cause of His people Israel as each day requires so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no one else. Let your heart therefore be wholly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in His statutes and to keep His commandments to this very day. If you're here this morning and you need to restore devotion to Jesus, if you need to restore the priority of fellowship and the Word of God and the breaking of bread and prayer, I want you to come forward. Please don't miss your moment with Jesus. You're coming forward as just an act of faith. It's an act of surrender. It's a physical step to say, God, I need some things to change in my spiritual life. I need how I spend my time and my money and my energy to shift. And Father, I'm asking right now that you would restore to us the joy of your salvation. That you would grant to us sweet repentance and times of refreshing in your presence. God, I pray that you would make this house a devoted house. That you would make us a devoted people. That you would call us back to our first love. That God, we would not forsake you. That we would not become like the harlot. That we would not settle for being entertained when you've called us to be equipped. God, I pray that you would bring us out of the lazy river. That you would bring us into a torrent and a rush of your presence. Father, I pray that our priorities would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we repent 
we confess our deep need for you, Jesus. Lord, we remind ourselves that apart from you, we can do nothing. And that without love, we have nothing to offer. Father, would you refill our love tanks this morning with love for you and love for one another? God, where capacity has waned and compassion has gone low, I pray that you would fill it now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we choose this morning not to take the easy way out. We say no to making excuses and yes to growing up in you. Lord, would you give us a burden for our own maturity? Father, I pray that if we've been saved for years, God, that you would cause us to grow up. That we would come out of rounding the same mountains and having the same cycles and getting slain by the same giants. Lord, would you teach us this morning how to put a stone in the sling and how to slay what stands in front of us and what intimidates us. Lord, would you speak kindly over us as your people this morning? I thank you, God, that repentance is a gift. That we have an opportunity to leave here right and clean in our consciences. Speak the name of Jesus over every heart this morning. We say no to condemnation. We say yes to conviction. We say no to the accusation of the enemy. And we say yes to the calling higher of the Father. We want to lay hold of that for which you've laid hold of us. So we choose now to press on forward toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I just sense by the Spirit that there are some people here this morning that you've actually been in ministry and I do have natural knowledge that there are people here that have ministry experience but I just sense that there are some that God is going to kindle a passion inside of you that you didn't even know in your days of full time ministry that the Lord is going to teach you a greater and more steadfast devotion to the word and prayer and fellowship and communion than you even had when you had more time on your hands to do those things. And God is going to give you an upgrade this morning. I feel it in my spirit. That God is going to release an upgrade into your heart. That you're going to steward well the limited time that you have now. Father, would you wash us this morning? Lord, we choose today to trade distraction for pure and simple devotion to you.
of Jesus are a 